Hello and welcome to More Than a Number, the podcast brought to you by ICAEW, looking behind the numbers to discover how they're really impacting our lives. I'm financial journalist Louise Cooper and today in this episode we're asking, does business have an age problem? Well, a House of Commons report from the summer of 2018 certainly thinks so. Its scathing summary, to quote, It is unacceptable that this nation is wasting the talents of more than one million people aged over 50 who would be willing to work if the right opportunity arose. They should not face the current barriers of discrimination, bias and outdated employment practices. It blames damning prejudice, unconscious bias and casual ageism as the root cause. Now, despite the fact that discriminating against someone on the basis of age was made unlawful with the Equality Act 2010. But there are some individuals bucking the trend. My name is Mario Rebellato. I'm 78 years of age and I work for Pimlico Plumbers. My title is executive PA. Well, my job entails basically looking after the CEO, managing his diary, making travel arrangements, booking hotels, and the general administrative work. After retirement, I couldn't quite sit back and do nothing. Uh, I felt out of, out of water. So I decided to take up a temporary job. I discovered that uh, Pimlico Plummer was employing uh, centenarian men to do valeting work. And um, I sent in a letter, tongue-in-cheek, saying if um, Buster Martin needs um, an understudy, I'm quite free. And lo and behold, about a month later, I got a phone call from uh, Mr. Marlin, Charlie Marlins, uh, the managing director, and um, we met and... That was it. Right from the word go, Charlie Marlins, he never even actually ever mentioned uh, age or even hinted that, uh, why do I not retire? There is an awful lot of gain to be gained by employing older people. I think uh, they'll bring uh, an, an awful lot of experience. They all will benefit from it. So low time on a Sunday, in fact, I do volunteer at the local children's hospital. So just goes to show that keeping active is not just at the place of work, but uh, outside working hours. The biggest smile, biggest satisfaction is uh, to deal with very, very difficult situations, um, uh, which will involve a lot of methodical work and uh, basically uh, thinking, why should I bother? Let's give it up. But no, that's not in my makeup. And uh, uh, that's the biggest satisfaction. Some, some of the projects, you know, may take uh, weeks uh, and, and sometimes months. But at the end is, is to see that the project ends successfully uh, for Charlie, for the company. And that's given me the biggest buzz um, ever. 78-year-old Mario there from Pimlico Plumbers. So we all know the demographic story. The nation is ageing. We're all living longer and the birth rate falling. But before we get into that discussion, I was joined by Ed Humpherson, Director General for Regulation at the UK Statistics Authority. I think business does have an age problem, but it's not just one problem. 
I think it's multiple problems. So that's one issue that business has got to manage, how it can be welcoming and supportive of people who are doing that kind of uh, changing their career and working well beyond retirement age. The concept of a single retirement age seems to me to belong to a different age where patterns of work were more consistent and more stable across the whole population. And as we move into this scenario with different experiences of work and different experiences of ageing, I think the idea of a single retirement age, it will, you know, the, the, the current number, 67, will fit some people, but it will not fit lots of other people. So I think, in a sense, it's a concept which has had its time. Some of those people in that ageing population will be useful in another sense. They might be people who are wanting to change their career, do something different. I think perhaps move into voluntary roles, those sorts of things. And again, that's something that can be used and developed. One of the things which really strikes me is just how much of their time they devote to really positive volunteering work, where they might have been an accountant when they were in full-time professional life and they're acting as a treasurer for a, a local charity or a local community group or a local church or they're supporting disabled people by uh, driving a bus. I come across that a lot. I think it's really indicative of the contribution that old people can continue to make to society even beyond the formal workforce when they go into the voluntary space. My thoughts about intergenerational fairness are that in some ways we should be focusing as much on intragenerational fairness, i.e. within a given cohort, the different experiences that people have, because I think they are more striking than between the generations. So that the different experiences of people in the over 65 cohort, those who are having fulfilled, enriched lives, volunteering or continuing to work versus those um, who, who have left the workforce and maybe are in, in ill health. I think that's much more stark than the differences between younger people and older people. And I think that's the most important thing to focus on. Well, let's hear the numbers from Sarah Croft, Head of Ageing and Demographics from the Office of National Statistics. Well, what's really interesting is if you look at the latest uh, population estimates, which are for 2018, and we look at how the population has changed, the population aged 65 and over has grown faster and at a higher rate than any other age group. So what we've seen is that the number of people aged 65 and over increased by around 23% in those 10 years. And that compares with just 3.5% of the working age population and 7.8% for children. So if if you take that rate of growth, um, it's projected that if that rate continues, then around 2050, there'll be an additional 8.6 million people living in the UK over the age of 65. And she says there are more and more like Mario. We've seen the numbers of people working past state pension age. We've seen that double over the last 10 years. So people are working longer um, which uh, reflects um, the longer lives. And we also know that around half of those working beyond state pension age say they're just simply not ready to retire. So it's not always financial reasons. So in terms of the um, accessibility of the labour force and having older workers, um, there is uh, certainly signs that point to us having um, more workers past state pension age um, as the population continues to get older. Well, joining me in the studio is Andy Briggs, the government's champion for older workers strategy. Welcome, Andy. Hello. We heard some of the numbers there from the ONS. What are about the number of older workers actually in the workforce? 
So, so the number of, uh, building on Sarah's statistics, the number of over 50s in the workforce is 32%. So 32% of the workforce in the UK today are over 50s. Go back to 1992, that was just 20%. But one of the biggest challenges that business will, will have is that every year in the UK, there are twice the number of people leaving the workforce through the ageing population, exactly the statistics Sarah's just covered, as are coming into the workforce through the education system. So if businesses don't embrace more older workers, they really will struggle to have the skills and capabilities they want to progress their businesses. And also with me, Alistair McQueen, Head of Savings and Retirement at the insurance giant, Aviva. Hello. Hi, Louise. Got some statistics already, but you have your own as well. Yeah, and I think building on Andy's point about twice leaving the rate that are entering, we know that about age 50, give or take nine and 10 of us are active in the labour market. So 90% of people age 50 are working are active or seeking work or wanting to contribute and then that falls down to about 50% as we progress into our early 60s and as Mario was suggesting a huge waste of talent potential experience and skill that that individuals don't want to waste and business cannot afford to waste either So what does the research tell us about the benefits of older workers Andy? So, so I'm a passionate believer that inclusive and diverse businesses are better businesses and not just gender and ethnicity, but also multi-generational. I'll give you a great example. So McDonald's, they have 1,300 restaurants in the UK. They employ 85,000 people, 1,000 of whom are aged over 60. They have a whole host of policies around that, which which make that happen, enable that to happen. But they then measure customer satisfaction across their restaurants. And the restaurants that are age diverse, multi-generational, with over 60, get 20% higher customer satisfaction than the restaurants that aren't age diverse and don't have over 60s working in those restaurants. So it it, it undoubtedly proves not only do businesses need to embrace older workers because of the ageing population, but, but you get better business outcomes as well. Fascinating. Alistair, from running a business... What is the advantage then of sort of keeping hold of these older workers? Well, in our organisation in Aviva, our youngest employee is 16. Our oldest, we can't quite match Mario, but is 76. So that's what, 60 years of people within the organisation. And if we are not supporting the over 50s, which now represent one in three of our workers, our fastest growing population of workers, if we're not investing in that population, we're not investing in one in three of our people, our biggest asset, and we're wasting that talent. So by investing Investing in these people, they themselves are able to rise to the potential of a fuller working life. And as a business, we're supporting that asset and getting the best out of that asset so they can give back to our people, give back to our customers and give ultimately back to the business. So this is a win-win for us as an organisation. And Aviva's introduced a midlife MOT for employees aged between 45 and 60. Can you just describe then in a little bit more detail, Alistair, what is this midlife MOT? Well, it's a relatively simple but a novel concept. As I said, one in three of our people are age 50 and above. This is a population that we had not been investing in as an organisation. One in three of that population were concerned that age was a barrier to opportunity. We had to challenge this cultural mindset that was in the organisation. And so we have put together a bespoke educational guidance session for these people 20 or so get together once a year for a couple of hours and they're educated not just on how they can manage their finances which I suppose is the bread and butter of an organisation like Aviva but their finances their career 
and their health and well-being. Not that they leave after two hours and they're a financial expert, but that they leave with more confidence, more awareness, more appreciation of Aviva so that they are able to take control of their own careers should they wish to pursue this fuller working life. And what do you think Aviva's learnt from doing these sessions with workers? What as an employer have you taken away? Yeah, well, first of all, the demand we've found has exceeded all of our expectations. This is a population that's crying out for support. We gave an open invitation and within 40 hours, 90% of the available seats were taken. This population wants support. But as a business... It forced us as an organisation to look at this demographic. As I say, 5,000 people in this age group. The average length of tenure of this group is about 17 years with our own organisation. These are the people who know how to get things done, know who to speak to. 5,000 people, average length of service, 17 years, 85,000 years of corporate knowledge, experience, potential that we were not investing in and not retaining. Because of this mindset. Yeah. Oh, that, you know, they're 50, they're sort of slowing down to retirement. There's no point in focusing on them anymore. Exactly. I I think it's fantastic what Aviva have been doing. I'll give you another example of financial services compensation scheme. So they they kind of run the compensation around financial services. Uh, They've been running this for many, many years. They have an average length of service across their whole organisation of now 15 years. They have sector-leading retention levels. It it really does work over a long period of time. And again, their take-up, similar to Aviva, is fantastic. But but you you, you make the point about discrimination in the the workplace. uh, It's illegal, age age discrimination. Prevalent, but (laughs) illegal. One in four over 50s say that they experience discrimination in the workplace, uh, one in four. Now, that, that's the people that are saying. There's probably an awful lot more, to be honest, that aren't saying. So it's definitely a significant issue to be addressed. Now, it has to be said, I'm 49, not quite of the 50 cohort, but I don't quite jump out of bed um, as enthusiastically and as easily as I did in my 20s. And I sort of find as we get a bit older, that it starts to creak and the body doesn't work quite so well. And so, I mean, you could argue maybe I might need more hospital appointments. I get physically tired a bit easier, mentally not quite as quick as I, as I once was. It, it, does the research bear the ageing, creaking Louise out here? Or am I an unusual case? Well, well, well Louise, you, you said to us earlier that you were up at half three this morning. You're looking pretty good for someone that's been going for, uh, what, 12 makeup. hours now. Makeup, but, uh, makeup and uh, caffeine, yeah. I find. But, but there are an awful lot of um, myths around this. So what, one of the myths I often hear is older workers, I don't want to employ older workers, they'll take more sick days. The fact is that an over 50 is half as likely to take a sick day as someone in their 20s to 30s. Half as likely to. Wow. And another myth I hear is I don't want to employ older workers, they won't stick around as long as a younger worker. The fact is that someone, if you employ someone aged over 50, they are five times less likely to change jobs than if you employ someone aged 20 to 25. Five times less likely to change jobs. So, yeah. get going with the older workers. I, I, I think Andy uh, uses the phrase older workers. One of the one of the lessons that Aviva's learned is not to call me an older worker. Thank exactly. You. <laughs> Approach this word with great caution. Um uh, it's mature re- uh, careful just generally people do not think of themselves as being in inverted commas old when they get to the age of 50 they've got a huge amount more to give however in our organisation this culture had 
created itself, and it's clearly not written down in any development manual. Culture never is. That it said, once you got to the age of 50, do you know what? Your career development is over. Mm. We would have anecdotes where people would go, a 51-year-old would have their end-of-year review with their line manager, and the line manager's opening line would be, well, this won't take long, will it? Sending the message that, you know, your future is behind you, your career is behind you. For an organisation that needs this population, that values this population, that wants them to stay, to have that mindset is totally against the future of the Aviva organisation. Hence, we had to start challenging it. OK, so so I am clearly young and sprightly and mature and I have no problem and will not need to go to lots of hospital appointments, OK? But those in their 50s can often find themselves the primary carer for older relatives and that tends to be women. So, so from a policy perspective, what's the research show us here? Yeah, so so uh, my sort of call to action to businesses is focus on retaining more over 50s, retraining them, the midlife MOTs, and then recruitment. We'll come to recruitment in a minute. But in terms of retain, the, the, one of the major reasons that over 50s leave the workforce is, on average, one in five over 50s have significant caring responsibilities for an elderly relative. And the vast majority of businesses do not have a carer policy. And I guess the analogy, Louise, I, I would draw is if a business was saying to a pregnant woman, you can have the day off to have the baby as long as you're in the day before on the day after we'd all be horrified and yet that's basically what most businesses are saying to their over 50s who have um, important care and responsibilities for an equally dependent human being it just happens to be a uh, an elderly relative rather than a baby so, so put in place carer policies to enable those people to have the flexible working the time off they need to work part-time for a period of time more flexible hours so that they can cope with work and with looking after the elderly relative um, and, and, and you don't lose those skills and capabilities to the workforce as well. So everybody wins. Pregnant women are protected by law. Should carers be protected by law? Should they have rights in the same way? Does, so, does the law need to change? Yes. Yeah, so so I, I would like to see all businesses put in place carer policies. I think there is... Self-regulation, not mandatory. Well, well so I, um, I'm always a prefer when there's a strong business case and rationale to encourage businesses to do it. Ultimately, if, if they don't, we may need to think again. But my preference at this stage will be to encourage businesses to put the carer policies in place. The report I mentioned at the top of the programme recommends mandatory flexibility in every job advert. Andy, Good idea. This is what the House yes. of Commons should be doing. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So at the moment, you have to make flexible working available from week 26 of employment. So, so you have to offer flexible working in week 26. If you're an individual that needs flexible working for day one, you're immediately shut off from applying to all those roles that don't offer flexible working from day one. So it, it should be mandatory from day one. However, the problem with mandatory, the offer is that it doesn't always work, does it? You know, that you can request flexible workering, but actually the employer goes, mm, doesn't really work for us. No, I'm sorry, no. Yes, yeah, so, so th- th- there's definitely two parts to this. Part of it is is to have the, the policies in place, but the other part is is to um, enlighten leaders in business of the real benefits that they will get from allowing their people to work more flexibly. And that that would be you know for all sorts of reasons, not not just um, caring reasons. For example, uh, again, if if people are able to be their whole selves at work, if people are able to work flexibly with other things they have going on in their lives, businesses will get more out of those uh, of those people. The trouble with flexible working, carers' responsibilities, getting older, maybe just not wanting to work as much as you did in your 50s or 40s, the trouble with this is it's not always practicable 
is it, Alistair? Is from an organisation's requirements, some organisations, some types of business, it will work. Sometimes a business, it won't work. So Yeah, well, first of all, let's challenge any presumptions that we have about what works for the individual or not. We've had to challenge our own mindset. Aviva, because of the scale of the Aviva and organisation, we have to pay the government's apprenticeship levy. We now have over 300 apprentices in our organisation. If you go out to our own people and say, would you like to be an apprentice? People think, well, that's if you're leaving school in your early 20s. We shout from the rooftops, we have a 68-year-old apprentice, a 60-year-old man in our Sheffield office that wants to learn new skills. So let's move to one side the presumption that these people are not as maybe ambitious as other generations are. That, I think, is out of date. And as for the businesses, businesses will make their own decisions what is right for them. I would want to send the message out. There's a war for talent out there. As Andy said right up front, twice the numbers leaving as entering. If a business chooses not to invest in an age-diverse workforce, it will lose the war for talent and that business will fall behind. The question sort of almost starts from, a you know, flexible working is a bit of a hassle and it's hard to do. That There's lots and lots of roles in the workplace where job sharing or flexible working would significantly enhance, you know, for example, if you're running uh, contact centres, call centres, you, you get peaks uh, on, on Mondays. Most contact centres get peaks on Mondays. If you've got people that only want to work three days a week, well, then have them on the days and the times during the week when there are peaks. View it as a positive opportunity, not as a negative hassle. Recruiting older workers. Andy, what can the law do? What can policy do? What the, can the government do? to help against age discrimination? So, I mean, sadly, there are just far too few examples of people like Mario. I'm going to give you a a, a real-life research example. Anglia Ruskin University did some research. They basically created two identical CVs with very good experience, a good breadth of experience. One of them had all the dates on that made it clear the person was over 50. The other was identical, other than it didn't have any dates on. The CV um, without the dates on was five times more likely to get an interview. I'm not saying 5%, 50%, 500%, five times more likely to get an interview than the CV with the dates on. And that, that for me, is is, is the real core of the issue here, that there is an unconscious, and I think it is unconscious, but unconscious bias against older workers, much along the lines of the myths I talked about before. And and if we can break that and and businesses realise the opportunity of having the benefits of having a multi-generational workforce, so much better. But does it need to be mandatory? Does it need to be a law that says all the dates, blind CVs, all the dates taken off? I mean, if you take that that line, it, it's already illegal to to be discriminating by age. But but, but you but just it, told it, me it happens. Yeah, it happens in practice. But there's so, nothing people so, can do about it. I mean, it. to be honest, I, I would uh, I've spoken to many over fifties um, at different events I've been at, and they've explained they've got exactly this tr- problem of, of want to work, can't find a role. My advice to them take is their, take the dates take, off. Take the dates off your CV. Do it yourself. Yeah, and and you'll you'll get five times the number of interviews. Brilliant. Um, What's Aviva doing? Well, I think we've had to, again, educate ourselves. The use of language is very careful. For us to advertise a job saying looking for a dynamic, energetic individual, I think the (laughs) presumption is that, well, that's not me if you're in the 45-plus category. If we've got advertising with young, classic millennials splashed all over the adverts, come saying, coming work for Aviva, we're not speaking to the population that we need to and we want to speak to. So those are sort of very kind of practical examples, language and imagery. We've also reached out to local job centres centres in communities around the, the country and we have taken some of our 45 plus employees into those environments and said you know what it's not maybe as daunting as you think 
training, concept of multiple careers. The government runs an awful lot of training institutions, mandatory apprentice levy. Um, what more, what should the government be doing with respect to multiple careers, training, education? So, so I think that the one um, particular piece I'd ask is is that that most of the focus around apprenticeships, uh, much as Alice has said a moment ago, is is very much focused on on younger workers. Why shouldn't apprenticeships be very much across the board, irrespective of age, and people that want to learn and develop new skills get the opportunity to do so? So that's probably the one key ask. I'd but, make it, but, it, but, it, but it's a sort of the name, isn't it? Apprentice. Like you think of a sort of eighteen-year-old. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's... It's so, going back to the words, the imagery, you know. So so much of this is around the perceptions and, 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 and how people feel. And again, what I'd in, in, encourage, um, you know, that those over 45, over 50 to do is, is you know, th- think ahead that they, they might not choose to do so, but those that choose to will have 20 plus years of work ahead of them. What do they want to do with that next 20 years of their, of their working lives? And, and where, you know, what what skills and capabilities they want to develop and grow in order to to make the most of that next 20 years. I agree. And I think one of the things I'd love to get across here is let's push to one side again the phrase work until you drop. That is not our motivation here. Our motivation is to give an opportunity to those who do wish to, who do want to, maybe who do need to keep working. Our ambition is not to make people work until they drop. Our ambition is to give people those opportunities. Do you think there is discrimination in terms of, I don't know, applying to go back to university? Or do you think there is age discrimination within organisations with respect to training opportunities? Yeah, if you look at the data I've seen from various different employers, the, the likelihood of, of someone, an individual having a development-based, you know, skills and development-based conversation with their manager if they're aged over 50 is, you know, 30 40% less likely than it is for those under 50. So there are, you know, significant uh, uh, perception issues there to be, to be dealt with. I'll give you another specific example from an organisation, Jaguar, Jaguar Land Rover, um, that they, they hand sew the leather seats on the um, on the Jaguar cars. Of yeah? course they do. And, and the, the group of uh, people doing this are ageing because they've been doing it for many, many years. Technical um, skill. Yeah. And, um, and and they're sort of worrying. So what, what do we what do we do in terms of the next generation of, of hand sewers of the leather seats? on Jaguar cars. What they've done is taken a number of, of those people and retrained them to be trainers of the next generation. And, and, and what a kind of fantastic um, broader thinking of how you can use that skill experience to pass on to the, ne- the next generation and, and, and then also bring through the skills and capabilities you need in the workplace um, uh, for your business going forward. Now, you're not a massive fan of, of, of mandatory legal changes, Andy, but what we've seen with the gender pay gap reporting has really shone a light on an issue. Transparency generally sees some improvement, although we've yet to see it fully on the gender pay gap. But does the government need to impose mandatory age reporting for companies? Yes, I would like to see that. I'd also like to see it around ethnicity as well. So, um, we, 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 you know, if you think of all the different dimensions of, of inclusion and diversity, uh, we're, we're focusing on age here, but, but for, for age and for ethnicity alongside gender, I think that would be really good. We shouldn't really forget the younger generation in this discussion, because if those at the top of an organisation are not moving on, there are fewer advancement opportunities for those potentially further down. How do we get around this problem? 
So, so for me, this is all about a multi-generational workforce. It's about the diversity of older and younger making it a better business. And I've give, you know, given a number of examples of, of that already. But the fact is that if in the UK you've got twice the number of people leaving the workforce through the ageing population as are coming into the workforce through the education system, then it's not a problem. It's not a problem. So let's go back then to the question posed at the start. Does business have an age problem? Your concluding thoughts, Andy? So I, I there's definitely um, discrimination that goes on and that needs to be addressed. But this is all about businesses realising a fantastic opportunity. Uh, multi-generational workforces are better workforces. They will deliver better customer service, better represent their communities, deliver better results for shareholders. And if businesses don't embrace this because of the ageing population, they'll really struggle to get the skills and capabilities that they need. Alistair? Yeah, there's a war for talent. The forward-thinking businesses are going to win that war. The others will lose. And a message to those mature people who are listening... You don't are put that. your names on the C- or don't put your dates on a yeah. CV to start with. <laughs> yeah, go on. That and also recognise you are this valued talent. <laughs> People now do need your skills like they have never needed it before. And, and go carry and that ask confidence. for development training. Exactly. Don't let don't let your manager ignore you because you're in your fifties. Totally. Well, my thanks to you both. Andy Briggs, government's business champion for older workers, and Alistair McQueen, head of savings and retirement at Aviva. You've been listening to More Than a Number with Louise Cooper, a podcast brought to you by ICAEW, the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. For those of you that don't know, chartered accountants are highly trained critical thinkers who apply their knowledge to get behind the numbers and work towards building a world of strong economies. So make sure you subscribe to More Than a Number so you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch with the show, just email mtan at icaew.com. <laughs>